Three shots, four part, I just do two. One pup, pop four, birdie, woohoo. New driver, info, replace, M2, pop five, fairway, what you finna do? Think I'll try to get on into Stop right, good line, good view. It drew, shooter McGavin, two thumbs that's up high and two fingers pointed. The green jacket is going north of the border. Mike Weir has won the Masters. That I'm playing. Sometimes these part three look like an island. I punch and keep it on dry land. At least I'm a try man. I'm up with the five and might use the trap man. I got a chat man. All right, welcome to another episode of On the Screws podcast. It's almost Ryder Cup week, and that means one of the best weeks in all of golf. On this episode, we are going to dive into it a little bit, chat about some of the matchups, uh, some of the players, expected matchups, that type of thing. Um, who made the team? Bryce and I last week, unfortunately, can't make it this week. Bryce and I went over uh, the U.S. captain's picks, chatted about who we thought might be our picks, um, and we were waiting. To, we were awaiting the European ones. So we've got all of those now. We can chat about those. Um, but yeah, this week is pretty cool because we've got somebody who was involved with the coaching staff of the 2014 European Ryder Cup team. We've got Nick Bradley Golf, an elite golf instructor, best-selling author, has coached Justin uh, Justin Rose from world number 125 in the world, sorry, all the way down to number five, um, an absolute genius when it comes to the game of golf and he was able to stop by and have a chat with us kind of give us an idea of what's going on like i said he's a best-selling author um he's got a new book out um his teaching academy and yeah just an all-around all-around great golf mind so i will drop a timestamp below if you're just here to listen to that otherwise let's get into some of the chat about the Ryder cup Okay, the 2020 Ryder Cup is here in 2021. Unfortunately, couldn't play it last year. Like a lot of events, got moved. Um, but yeah, at Whistling Straits, the all-time Ryder Cup matchup is 26 for the USA to 14 for the Europeans. And my early prediction is going to be... Uh, it's going to be a USA win. Um, I don't know. There's 28 combined points i'm thinking that it's going to be somewhere around 16 17 um i think it's going to be really tough to beat this usa squad we can go through the players in a couple seconds but i just wanted to give anybody listening there's actually been a couple questions over on instagram of how the Ryder cup format plays so the first two days they play four ball um so that's any you know everybody plays their score or their own ball and then they take the lowest team score um or sorry the lowest player of the team so there would be two americans two europeans they take the lowest on each one and then they play that down to as like a match play have the whole if they both shoot a par you know if one shoots a birdie and one shoots a bogey or a par or whatever it may be then that team would go one up etc etc and then they play uh foursomes as well on the saturday and final day, the Sunday, um, the 26th, I guess that would be of September, is stroke play. So we get to see the best players in the USA and the best players in Europe go head-to-head in stroke play matchups. Absolutely incredible golf. It's like, if you have not watched the Ryder Cup, you got to tune in. It is like nothing you have ever seen in the golf world before. The fans are just electric. It's like being at the waste management on steroids. It is amazing. So check it out to feature one usa player and one european player but before we do that let's hop in and have a look at who is going to be on each team 
Okay, so if you're listening to this podcast, if you're in the car, I'm going to rhyme off some of the names. But if if you haven't already, go over and check out the YouTube page. I'm going to drop a photo of all the players that are playing on each team, and we'll go over them here quickly. So we've got Danielle Berger, Patrick Cantlay, Bryson DeChambeau, Harris English, Tony Finau, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, and we'll just go over the captain, Steve Stricker. So Steve St- Stricker had some he had some tough choices, and I think he left. A, my guy was Sam Burns this year, and you know I really, I really, really like him taking. Harris English. I think that Harris English has been one of the best players in the world recently. So I I think he kind of flew off the radar. I'm really glad he went with Daniel Berger. And yeah, I just I think it was just all around pretty good. Scotty Scheffler went deep in the WGC match play. So that is going to be our feature player for the USA. Scotty Scheffler, again, that WGC match play, lost to Billy Ho in the finals, but he went through a couple dominant dominant match play type players in Ian Poulter, who, yes, his game has, you know, regressed a little bit over the years. Um, he absolutely dusted Ian Poulter, um, went through, played John Rom, got through John Rom, who is the best player on the planet right now. So Scotty Scheffler has that deep pedigree to be able to beat the best in the world and went through Matt Kutcher before stumbling and losing. I think it was two and one to Billy Ho in the finals. So that's our guy for the U.S. I think that's the key to success is he's probably the 12th pick, I would say, on the team. I think everybody would agree right now anyway, um, or, you know, the bottom of the mark. And if he plays well and gains the U.S. some points, I think that's going to be a key to victory. But let's get into the European team here. It was uh, it was definitely a different year for the Europeans. And Padre Carrington is, um, you know, for, former major winner and a great, great person to lead the team. So they've got some of the world best, like Paul Casey, Matt Fitzpatrick, one of the best young players in the world, Tommy Fleetwood, one of the nicest swings on tour, the old guy, Sergio, still getting it done. I think he was like top 30 in the in the official world golf rankings this year. Terrell Hatton, who at the end of 2020, we saw a ton of success out of Terrell Hatton. It kind of tapered off, but... I'm looking for him like he's kind of um you've seen like those angry golf uh things that they post on Instagram and stuff like that it's pretty funny and uh they kind of all go to their meeting or whatever and that's Terrell Hatton and I think he is a guy that kind of feeds off of that intense type of crowd I think it's going to be great but yeah sorry I'm just uh dropping a photo for anybody here listening on YouTube or sorry watching this over on YouTube we'll go through we got Victor Hovland the 2019 Open champion, Shane Lowry, as a captain's pick. Roy McElroy, still one of the best players in the world. Ian Poulter, I don't know if I love the pick, but he's been there before, and he is a good, good match play player. John Rahm, the best player in the world. Nobody's debating that right now. The Europeans have the best player on the planet playing for their team right now. Bern, Bernard, or Burned. Wiesberger, I butchered that Canadian accent once again. And the old guy, Lee Westwood, who again at the end of last year, kind of like Terrell Hatton, was dominating tournaments. So capped off by uh, Padre Carrington and his staff. Um, I think the Europeans are in tough this year. I think it is going to be a tough year for them. But 
Like I said, they have our European featured player, John Rahm, on their team, the best player in the world. If you want to debate it, let me just give you a couple stats of the 2021 season. T5 at the Masters, T8 at the PGA, T3 at the at the Open. We all know he won the U.S. Open, second at the Tour Championship, and I think he had the low score there because um, I think he started at minus six or minus seven. So the best player in the world is playing on Team Europe. That can translate to a few points. Um, so we will see how he is utilized. I think they will deploy him at any moment possible, and we'll have to see. Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting tournament. I think that if you're listening to this podcast the Friday before, you should definitely put it on your calendar. Go over and check out some of the, the Ryder Cup because it is like nothing else you can imagine. If you have any questions, head over to at OTS Golf on Instagram. Send me a DM. Let's chat some golf, see what's coming up. If you've got any predictions, that would be great to hear. And yeah, we've got a chat with Nick Bradley Golf, who in 2014 was with the European uh, Ryder Cup team as part of their coaching staff. So let's get into the chat. In North Carolina, we have Nick Bradley, elite golf instructor, best-selling author. Nick, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. One of the things we've started off the last few weeks with is uh, talking about our accents. So it's been great because now we've been able to uh, to hit somebody from the other side of the ocean. So it's uh, it's really cool. But you're down in North Carolina now. Nick, maybe you can give any of the uh, the viewers, um, listeners, an idea kind of who you are, um, your connection with golf. Uh, I know we got connected through uh, Bob uh, over at Squares. So maybe just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I've been a, uh, a golf instructor for 30 years, obviously from London in the UK, and um, been on the U- in the US for 15, 16 years now. And for, uh, for many reasons, I just wanted to uh, open up a golf academy, but my past caught up with me because since 1991, I've been coaching on the European tour and had some success over there with French Open champions, uh, Italian Open champions, and national champions and stuff. And I really came to America kind of like to move away from the traveling, the European tour and working with the guys and the girls and the LET tour. And, uh, and then started working with Justin Rose uh, over here in the PGA tour, which um, was very fruitful, managing to get into world number five and European number one. So that was a nice project. And then, you know, things just uh, progressed. So, you know, uh, Leona McGuire at Duke University, uh, she regained her world number one status and, uh, that was good. And now, uh, in fact, actually, to bring you right up to date, there's been some stuff in between which you can look at on BradleyGolf.com. But um, one of my juniors actually won the World Championships three weeks ago. Nice. So um, it's, um, it's, it's been a really good journey over 30 years. Um, very fortunate to attract the right type of players that I work well with. Um, and it, it's been good. and been lucky enough to offer a few, a few books as well. That's cool. So we can uh, we can kind of hop into some of the instructing, get into some of the uh, the books and whatnot. But um, one of the things that obviously fascinated me when I was kind of looking up doing a little bit of research with Justin Rose. So he's a huge name that we all know, and you've been able to work with him from it was two thousand six to two thousand nine. Uh, yeah, that, that's loosely correct. I okay. actually did some work with him in two thousand four, five, and leading up to six was the main uh, gotcha. sort of like relationship go signal. So we, we've done little bits in between that before that, yeah. So number 125 in the world, all the way down to number five. Um, 
well, still one of the biggest players in golf, won an Olympic gold medal in, I guess, 16, right? So, um, what, what's that like working with one of the golf, like one of the world's elite talents? Like, I know you've worked with Sir Nick Faldo as well, and you're working with PGA Tour players. Kind of, can you give us an idea of what that's like, Nick? It's a very serious responsibility, is what it is. Um, you know, Justin uh, in particular was, you know, the UK and Britain's, you know, young. Home, yeah. you know, to something to take on Tiger and uh, and be that lead that charge and to take him over from David Ledbetter was also a responsibility as well. You know, I worked for David in the mid 90s, three, three and a half years. And so it was there, there was a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure because, you know, you screw someone like Justin Rose up and, you know, it's a big arrow in your back. And so, you know, don't you don't often recover from that. But I, uh, you know, I had done my research on Justin. I got to know his personality. I got to know um, his uh, his ways of thinking and what he valued, what he didn't value, and obviously got to know his his short game and long game as well. So it was it was it, it, yeah, it, it's a responsibility because this isn't golf. This is someone's career, right? And it's your career, and it's how you uh, that that level of contribution that you can bring to someone's career and you know as a golf coach you're only really responsible for the time you're with someone so if you look at that period um it was pretty successful that's great and i know like i'm kind of thinking at that level a lot of um people mention about tiger all the time and like why tiger was you know the the best to play the game through his eras his mental ability and and whatnot like his mental uh, strength in the game so that is one of the things um that has kind of been noted for you. And I know in 2000, I believe it's 2014, you worked with the Ryder Cup team. That is correct. Paul McGinley has been a long time friend of mine since uh, my days in Ireland in uh, Kilkenny, Thomastown, um, at Mount Juliet. Paul and I kind of like, I never worked with Paul, uh, but we always had a very mutual, a good mutual respect. He'd seen what done with some of the Irish amateur players. And um, so the Ryder Cup, captaincy uh, got uh, anointed to him, uh, which is great um, because <clears throat> Paul's a very thoughtful, scientific, strategical guy. Right. And um, he really brought two people in to kind of like help him with the backroom stuff and the psychology of, um, of the messaging, I guess you would say, for that Ryder Cup. One was Sir Alex Ferguson of Manchester United, and Sir Alex did an amazing job um, talking to the players about um, about always being a backup person to the person that you're playing with and, you know, leaving the players alone, letting them do their own things, treating them as, you know, 14 individual superstars as opposed to, you know, a, a conglomerate that where you're trying to manage all these egos. Right. So Sir Alex really helped Paul out with that and actually confirmed a lot of Paul's thinking. Uh, he had it pretty down anyway as a bright guy. Uh, but so, and then Paul asked me, you know, what I could do. And again, I took the counsel this time of a guy called Nick Bradley, uh, who's an English guy coaching over in America, golf coach. But he's done a couple of award-winning books where he's used illustrations and, and, and uh, images to portray what he's trying to say in his golf books. And I, I gave him the challenges that I felt we faced, and I asked him up with some ideas. Modern parlance, it would be kind of a photoshopping of images and turn them into uh, very powerful... Um, Images with very powerful words along with them associated to the continuity of message that I wanted to give as captain. 
know, with my two previous books, The Seven Laws of the Golf Swing and Kinetic Golf, very strong with imagery, very strong in imagery and strong messaging. And um, so he said, you know, would you, would you produce some images for me in alliance with the messaging that I'm trying to deliver to the team? So I said, yeah, it would be an honour. So Paul and I worked very closely for almost up to probably a year okay. uh, before September 2014. And, uh, yeah, we produced some really good, meaningful um, messages. I say messages before images because they weren't just pretty pictures. They were actually sort of chronological as well. Um, there, there's one of the images called the um, the, the Rock, uh, which is, you know, we will be the rock when the storm comes. And America did fight back as they inevitably would do. And then, of course, we needed to be the rock in that situation. So, you know, it was a, it was a pretty cool thing to do. It was an honor, actually. I definitely uh, going back to Justin Rose because one of the photos was kind of Justin Rose and and it was on home soil, right? It was Glen Eagle that year. Glen Eagles um, in in Scotland. Okay, yeah. So I, I kind of remember it because that was the year Phil Mickelson kind of uh, you know kind of got out of line a little bit, but. Uh, um, I remember uh, seeing the Justin Rose photo. Like when I when I went on, I watched the video with Paul. And uh, so anybody watching over on YouTube, I'll try and grab a snippet of it, or I'll link it below and and I'll drop it in here. But uh, the photo of him kind of just um, he's kind of walking on the green. He's got his hands out. He's got the fans and whatnot. It's it's just a really cool photo. You got to see it. So I'll try and drop the video or at least the photo of it because uh, that was pretty cool. So um, I guess were you hands on with the players at the time, or was it kind of in the you know back end trying to kind of build the messaging for them? No, I, I was there um, with Paul inside the ropes and, and kind of like moseying around a little bit. But right. I wasn't there in an instruction capacity. Uh, I was there just to just to maybe be a, a pair of ears and a pair of eyes for him that week. Um, I do remember one instance actually with Stephen Gallagher on the, on the Sunday and uh, he was playing Phil Mickelson in the singles. And Stephen hadn't had a particularly good rider cut to that point um, for whatever reason. And But I just remember uh, standing with Mickey Gorham, who's one of the great caddies in the European tour in the world, standing behind him watching Stephen with a swing coach and a psychologist, you know, each interjecting at separate times with no unison and what have you. And I remember going up to Mickey Gorham and I couldn't believe what I was watching. I said, Mickey, for crying out loud, just get those muppets out of here. And just tell Stephen to start to shapes and shots and get into his own routine and what have you. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, this, it's not the time just before you go out and play Phil Nicholson in the singles to have a lesson in neuroscience. Yeah. So, uh, if, if, if even they're that clever. Um, so yeah, that, that was, that was one instance. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. And, and obviously, um, it was 16 to 11 or 16, 15, uh, or sorry, 16 and a half, I think points. So that was a big year. That was a big year for the Ryder cup. Um, so congratulations to you and the, the efforts that you put in. Cause that's pretty amazing. Um, definitely want to talk to you, Nick, a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about your instructing and maybe some of the students that you have now We're we're kind of seeing the game. Um, and like I said, we got connected through squares, so it's very much a power type shoe. Um, the distance golf shoe. That's pretty much their, uh, that's one of their slogans, right? So, um, is that something that you're kind of honing in on with your instructing right now with any of your students, or is there anything that you're kind of leaning towards? I know it's becoming a lot more scientific now. Can you give us kind of an insight on what you're working on now? 
Yeah, I can. Um, so I'm lucky enough to direct a full-time junior academy down here in Pinehurst, North Carolina, called Traditions Golf Academy. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's now a power game, whether you like it or not. The days of moving the ball around like a, like a chess piece, uh, it, uh, those days are, they're not gone. There are certain golf courses, the very best golf courses, still box the players into doing that. But by and large, you know, the average drive on the tour over the last 15 years has gone up and up and up and up. Right. So, you know, you may get your certain strikes of lightning, like the Zach Johnson winning or a Brian Gay or someone like that, you know, shorter hitters. Uh, but, you know, they're few and far between now. Those golf courses uh, like Hilton Head, uh, for example, or, you know, even resort courses like the ones they play at Kapalua in February, you know, those golf courses um, don't really reflect the majority of the golf courses on tour. I mean, you take something like Quail Hollow, for example, in Charlotte, you know, you've got par threes that are 240 yards. And it's no coincidence that Rory McIlroy, the best driver in the game, wins at Quail, not even with his A game, I might add. Right. So, so you, you have to have distance. So uh, all of my juniors, uh, our physical training, and their equipment is geared towards distance. Now, if you look at where distance comes from, it comes from a, a few different places like leverage and the kinetic chain and how you use uh, your energy in the golf swing. But the reality is you could have somebody that does all of that really well. You know, they might have the best leverage, they might have the best body speed, they might have the best uh, ground forces, they might have everything. But if you have a pair of shoes on that don't connect you with the ground and react to the ground in a good way, then everything above the laces is basically a waste of time. So I always, in my first book, um, The Seven Laws of the Goldsmith, Law 3 is called Ground Force Dynamics. And this was written in 2002. And um, so Ground Force Dynamics really um, demands that your traction and your interaction with the ground is very succinct and meaningful. So Square, when Square's golf shoes came along, uh, I reached out to Bob and I, you know, I, I told him who I was and my credentials. And uh, we immediately struck it off. Um, as Bob will say, that I, I'm just a poor immigrant boy from England. Without him, he would, you know, I, I would have been nothing. Uh, that's our sense of humor. So, sounds like Bobby. He, he honestly, he sounds like any that you could. He could just talk to anybody. Like with Bryce and I, kind of chatting with him, he was uh, so kind and so good to talk to. And then within a few minutes, he's kind of uh, he's getting in on us about my Canadian accent. So it's uh, that definitely does sound like Bob. But sorry about that, Nick. Yeah, the only person that listens to Bob and a fish at the end of his dock. So anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so anyway, but the reality is, so then he sends me a pair of shoes, and I put the shoes on. Now, bearing in mind that I've been with the biggest shoe manufacturer in the world for 16, 17 years on the elites, I'll say swoosh level. And um, I put these shoes on and they completely, they were completely different. The first thing for me was the fact that your feet, your toes are not sardine in there at the bottom, right? right? So for me, standing out in the practice area all day, you know, I couldn't wait to get the other shoes off with these ones. I'll drive home in them. Yeah. I won't even think that I've got shoes on. The second thing for me is the space that you've got in there. So, you know, if, if you think of, so in my past life, I was a good swimmer. 
and used to play water polo, right? Okay. So if you're going to grab a water polo ball, you spread your hands out like that, and you can grip the ball, and then you can throw the ball, right? So that's more effective than that. Well, that, that squares in a nutshell. Right. That squares in a nutshell. That compared to that. And well, then lastly, sorry, one, one more point. Yeah, no, lastly, problem, no problem. The other big difference was the the actual solidity and the, the, the sustenance of it. Right. Um, you actually felt that you put your foot into something that was housing the foot and housing the energy. So you may have a, a golf shoe that, you know, has a, you know, a, 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 an injection molded thing with all of the gripping de- devices you want in the world. But if the top part is unsolid, you may as well be wearing a flip-flop. I'm sorry, that's the truth. So squares, tackles, all of those key hit points and checks all of those boxes. That's why it's different. Well, no, I was just kind of thinking because recently I was able to uh, caddy a couple of days on the Canadian PGA Tour um, with a local pro here uh, named Jake McNulty. So we were talking about this. I was talking about this with Terry and he was uh, he had a downhill lie uh, or sorry, a slope lie below, below his feet. And he was on the first hole already mentioning how he was saying, OK, like I'm either going to top the ball or I'm going to hit a good one. It's going to go OK. Luckily, it was a great shot. But uh, one of the things that he was commenting on as soon as he was walking oh, no, up. I don't, I don't want to meet his psychologist. <laughs> if he said that, he could either top the ball. Well, it was going into a par five. So he's like, you know what? I can advance the ball or I'm going to get like he was he wasn't upset about it. He just, you know, he hit a good drive, got a bad bounce, was just off the fairway. And so he was saying we're either going to have a, an iron in or we're going to be able to play it up there, maybe chip it on. So, but what, what he was complaining about when he was walking up there is he was saying my feet, I can feel them as soon as I address the ball, my, and I, I put any forward lean in my feet feel like they are already rocking out of my shoes. We're on the first hole. So later on in the day, when the round finished up, I was mentioning uh, squares to him. He's moving down right now to play golf in the winter in Sarasota. So I know he was going to try and reach out to, uh, to Bob and, and uh, try and pick up a pair of those because it was one of the first things that I felt when I put on the speeds the other day for my round. Um, like you said, I like the way you said it kind of harnesses the foot. Like it's, it's meant to create power. Like it, um, you can say any gimmicks and any of that kind of stuff that you want, but like you got to just try the shoe. And uh, one of the things Terry mentioned with all the different spike placements and stuff, it just feels right. It feels perfect for the golf swing. Uh, so I encourage anybody to check it out. Um, but I did want to uh, just wrap up, Nick, you were mentioning the, uh, the traditions golf Academy. So that's something that you guys are working on right now in North Carolina. Um, some of the students are, are um, I guess, how, how young are they starting out coming to the Academy to play with you? Yeah, so the, the Traditions Golf Academy is, uh, I've, in my 30-year career, I've always avoided the full-time junior model because being candid about it, most of them are battery chicken farms. You know, all the, all the, do, all the kids do is ever hit golf balls and you know, they get neurotic about their golf swings. And they end up, actually, the majority of them actually not liking the game. So when the O'Neill School here, which is probably the top, in the top two charter schools in the North Carolina approached me, I and other instructors. Um, I I said, look, I'm only going to do this if I can do a boutique, you know, version. Right. But I'm hands on. I'm doing the coaching. I'm doing the mentoring. So Traditions Golf Academy will only ever have 20 students, or you know, I might get to 15 and say, you know, this is enough. So it, it's a boutique experience. It's college preparation. So our job, my job is to get those kids college scholarships going forward. 
Um, we've had some great results. Three weeks ago, one of our juniors won the World Championships wow. and actually finished second in the IMG World Championship as well. So um, that was uh, one of our amazing results. And actually, one of my students on the European tour three weeks ago, who I've coached since he was 10 years old, excuse me, um, Frank Kennedy, became the Euros youngest player on the European tour to make a cut. Um, so, you know, I, it, it, the, the juniors, um, we give them an amazing academic experience, no question, incredible, uh, and their golf training they do with me specifically. So it's a college preparation uh, academy for juniors from 11 to 18 years old, and we got post-grad. That's great. I, a little while back, I was able to speak with, um, well, he's the 1997 NCAA champ. Uh, his name's Andy Walker. He's at uh, Virginia Commonwealth, I believe now. So um, explaining the, uh, like he's the head coach there. So explaining the college game to me was was really cool. I kind of liked hearing about how, you know, players are there to learn. They're there to play golf, some of the training that they do. So I like following on uh, along kind of in that journey before they get to the pros, right? Because it's a uh, it's it's kind of like a lifestyle for them as well, right? So um, before I let you go, I wanted to kind of chat about your books a little bit, Nick. Um, so you've got the Seven Laws of the Golf Swing. That was your original one that you mentioned, uh, the Kinetic Golf um, book. And now, can you kind of um, maybe give us a timeline of them and what they were focused on, each book? So Seven Laws of the Golf Swing, 2003. Um, sold uh, over 115,000 copies in five languages around the world. So I'm very proud of that. Amazing. That's my first book. So it basically tells you how to build a golf suite, Law 1 to 7, um, forward by Justin Rose, um, uh, and a new forward as well. So it, it's, a, it's a unique book because it's, it's the first book that ever got the golf swing down to bone structures. So it's like okay. taking these off and actually having a look at alignments and bone structures. So that was good. And then kinetic golf came along. And kinetic golf's really about feelings of images, feelings of swings, and feelings of shots. So it's more about how you drive the, the car around the golf course rather than building a golf swing. Okay. So it's more practical. And then this year, proud to say, uh, my third book is called The 50 Great Secret, The 50 Secrets to Great Golf You Don't Know About Yet. And it's available on the hands now. And it's basically 50 essays which, um, which tell stories of me working with Justin Rhodes or Ted, Ted Med creator, Richard Saul Werman, or Sir Nick Faldo. And it's 50 shortish kind of essays that are just eureka moments all the way. So you can flick open the book at any point. And there's a really relevant point there about either mental strategy or energy management over time management. It's a book of actions you can uh, employ that just economize the whole thing in life and in goal. 50, 50 great essays learned over 30 years. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely want to check that out. And obviously you've worked with Nick Faldo. Um, and I saw you had posted on your social media, the, um, the uh the book itself so and you're going through a couple different segments of it um and then i saw the photo with nick faldo can can we chat a little bit about some of your work and uh you know your friendship with nick faldo so you know i first met nick uh when i was 23 years old at lake nona down in orlando when he was working with david ledbetter and i was there um understudying um david and uh so we just we just developed a really good 
you know, trust level between each other. You know, Nick in those days was very single-minded, um, just a ruthless competitor, and that's why, you know, 43 championships around the world and six majors later. That's right. He is the man who he is. Um, and then, you know, that kind of just continued and developed, and, um, you know, I, I get to work with him occasionally now, which is really good. But, you know, great thing is picking up the phone and getting into the head of a six-time major champion is, is a unique um is a unique thing. So um, so that's really good. And then obviously Nick's involved with Squares Golf Shoes as well, um, hence some of the commercials people might have seen. So that, that was a, another match made in heaven, really. I mean, you know, you think about Nick Valdo's career, um, you know, he's worn every pair of golf shoes under the sun. And remember, Nick went to Squares. Squares didn't go to Nick. That's an important point to make. Nick was so impressed with the shoe that he contacted uh, the company. So... That's that's how good those shoes are. But yeah, Nick Valder, what a privilege to to be around, to know the guy, and uh, and actually see through his Valdo series and various other things the contributions he makes to the game that a lot of people don't know about. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. It sounds like a pretty incredible career, and you've gotten to meet all of these players. Can I ask you? I always love to kind of get an idea of who I'm talking to um, by asking their dream foursome. If you get to play in a foursome with anybody, who would they be? Uh, is this specifically golfers? Can be anybody you like, yeah. Okay, so Winston Churchill. Okay. Love it. Um, so Winston Churchill. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Alan Watts, who's a, a, a British philosopher who died in 73. Um, he, um, uh, just Google Alan Watts, you'll see him. All right. And um, probably my father. With my father, so St. Winston Churchill, Alan Watson, my father, I think would be would be uh, a nice uh, a nice ball. Sounds like a great foursome. That's awesome, Nick. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Maybe before you, uh, before I let you go, you can let us know where we can reach you if anybody's looking to do, um, like I know you do some virtual instruction or even looking to check out your books. Um, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Nick? So through email, it's nick at bradleyperformancegroup.com. Nick at BradleyPerformanceGroup.com. Uh, Twitter, it's at the Nick Bradley. And Instagram is Nick Bradley Golf. Perfect. Okay. And so I can uh, grab a couple links for the books. I'll put them in the description below. So if anybody's interested in checking them out, um, go over and check out the uh, the uh, website as well, because I know there's a couple videos and whatnot on there. Your bio's on there. It's really impressive. Um Selling over 115,000 copies in your first first book is amazing. So definitely want to go check those uh, those out. Nick, thank you so much. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. Really like the guys over at Squares. Everything you guys are doing with that shoe is just amazing. Um, Bryce and I love it. Unfortunately, he wasn't available for the call, but really appreciate you uh, taking the time and hopping on, hopping on the call. Uh, and as usual, everybody following OTS Golf on Instagram and on the Screws Podcast over on YouTube. He's out in my ball and of course I tee up I lose the ball and I re-up I miss the fairway, I probably end up in the ocean Or maybe the beach And I'm on a part five and I'm finna go reach it Second was blind, I see it Feel like it might be an average I was working scenario